for a change A bunch of badasses If you know what I mean They're coming out of the sky Out of the sea And on land Gonna take it to the enemy Lock it low, boys Time to explode, boys Make sure you get home, boys They got your back The pride of the fleets The bright swinging frogmen Of the UDT Hey folks, Commander Mark Devine coming at you from Seal Fit and Unbeatable Mind. This is the Unbeatable Mind podcast with yours truly, Mark Devine. And hey, before we get started with our super cool guest this week, uh, who I am radically excited to talk to, Mr. Ken Wilbur, uh, please go to our website at sealfit.com and put your email into our opt-in form if you haven't done so already. That way we can keep you up to date on all the goings-on and special offers and, you know, cool things that we do at SealFit. Now, to introduce Ken, by the way, before I, before I get going, I have to mention to you folks that, uh, you know, as a Navy SEAL, I'm not really nervous about much or, or afraid of much, except when I speak to someone who is way more intelligent than me, and that's the case today. So we have <laughs> one of the most uh, profound um, philosophers who's had an extraordinary impact on my life, and um, you folks who are in Unbeatable Mind will know Ken through the Integral Warrior Development Model that we introduced in Lesson 4 of Unbeatable Mind. So I'm going to read you a little... Um, I'm going to read just the first paragraph of like a chapter-long bio, <laughs> because if I, wrote, if I read the whole thing, Ken, you know, it would take the entire podcast. <laughs> so here we go. It says, uh, according to Jack Crittenden, PhD, author of Beyond Individualism, quote, the 21st century literally has three choices, Aristotle, Nietzsche, or Ken Wilber. If you hadn't heard of him already, Ken is one of the most important philosophers in the world today. He's the most widely translated academic writer in America with 25 books translated into some 30 foreign languages. That's incredible. Ken lives in Denver, Colorado, and is still active as a philosopher, author, and teacher. And all of his major publications are still in print. Wow. Ken, yes, so nice to meet you in person well, uh, uh, you yes. know, on the air, so to speak. Thank you, Commander. It's a delight. It's a pleasure. Um, I love what you're doing. I think it's terrific. And uh, there are several million people out there that uh, seem to agree. So, way to go. <laughs> Thank you. That's so cool to hear, yeah. You know, um, I think I first stumbled upon your writing with a book called A Brief History of, of Everything. The brief yep. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, A Brief History yep. of Everything. Uh, I have to uh, confess I didn't understand much of it. It was about 20 years ago. Um, when did you write that? Was that one of your first pieces of work? or That was, um, I would say, um, a, a middle uh, piece of work. Okay. I had done a massive, massive um, book that I, I, don't, I don't recommend to any of my friends. <laughs> uh, but it was called Sex, Ecology, Spirituality. And it was oh, about yeah. a 900-page book, um, which is the only thing it was really good for is like, you know, beating sharks off of you or something. <laughs> I think I used that in the SEAL training, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it's good for traction in the trunk right. of your car in the right. winter. Uh, and, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do a simplified version of that. So I did a little dialogue version and, and cut it down. And it actually has turned out to be um, the first or second best-selling book uh, that I've done. No kidding. So a lot of people do get introduced to uh, Integral Approach right. uh, through A Brief History of Everything. 
um, and it's still uh, one one of the uh, most popular books that I've done. So it, it it tended to work out fairly well. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it's a great thing, and the, I think I followed that with another cool titled book, uh, The Theory of Everything. So yes, we have the two everything books. Yeah, they're, um, they're, and they cover just about everything. Um, yeah, humbly it. titled. And, uh, <laughs> But it, it, it's that's sort of how I I, I got started. Um, was uh, specifically I was looking, and this is when I was at, at Duke University in in the medical school uh-huh. program, and I was looking at. Were you various, a student there? Is it this? Is uh, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, got it. And I was looking at various types of psychotherapy. Right. Various answers to the question. You know, people put, well, I'm unhappy, how can I get happy? Or something's not right, how, right. Can, how can I feel better? Right. Uh, and we had, I started looking, and I began looking both east and west. Right. So I would look at things not only like Freud, but also like Zen Buddhism. Right. And, you know, not only Carl Jung, but also Vedanta, Hinduism, and so on. What was and, that, let's pause there. Was that just because you were intrigued with those, uh, with the Eastern uh, mentality, or was that something that was offered up in the uh, curriculum? It was at that time. Um, I was a, a sort of classic baby boomer. Mm. So the summer of love in San Francisco was 1967, and that's the year <laughs> I graduated high school. Okay. So it was kind of in the air. The Eastern traditions were, right. you know, coming in. The Beatles were doing transcendental meditation, and, right. and, and so on. And so gotcha. I was just including those in the overall realm of, right. of items that I was I was searching, I was right. looking at. And what what started to at first sort of fascinate me, and then actually kind of infuriate me was that we had at least a dozen or so major different types of approaches that all claimed to make people happy, to make right. them better, to make them healthy, whatever it was. Right. But irritatingly, most of them disagreed with each other. <laughs> That's interesting. And, well, and so I... So I, we're I, talking I, about I the fields of what, like psychology, um, transpersonal so, uh, development, sure, Buddhism? Sure, Okay. All of those. All of Gestalt therapy, Freud, Zen, Vedanta. Right. I mean, that in, in, in Freudian analysis, you're supposed to strengthen your ego. Right. In Zen, you're supposed to get rid of it. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and so I went from being... I was fairly unhappy myself. I was trying to... I really wanted to know how to get myself happy. Interesting. Yeah. And the more I studied it, the more confused I got. So yeah. now I was unhappy and confused. <laughs> Whereas That's not a good place I to be. I just unhappy. Right. I wasn't confused. But now I was unhappy and deeply confused. Right. And so it seemed to me that the only way I was going to get from unhappy to happy was to first get from confused to unconfused. Yeah, makes sense. And so I spent several years trying to figure out how these dozen different types of approaches, how could they all exist? How could they all be out there making this claim? Right. Now, well, obviously, I mean, these were stupid people. Yeah, they all made, I all mean, these claims these made sense. Geniuses. Right. I mean, you have Gautama Buddha, you have Carl Jung, you have Sigmund Freud. Right. 
And they had created systems that hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of people had ended up studying. Mm -hmm. And yet they were fundamentally disagreeing with each other. And that was utterly baffling to me. It just did not make sense. And so the question started to become for me, not which one of these is right, Right. And which one is wrong? Because if only one of them's right, then nine of them are wrong. Right. And that just didn't make sense that you know nine tenths of the human race would spend their time studying something that's <laughs> just wrong. <laughs> so actually, sometimes that seems kind of logical. <laughs> sometimes it actually seems more likely. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so I, I really wanted to know. The question became: How could, in a sense, the universe be structured? in a way that all of these would have something important to say. In other words, they were all true but partial. Right. right. It wasn't that there was just one truth and nine wrongs. Right. Um, I don't think any mind is capable of uh, you know, being 100% wrong. Right. Um, as we say, nobody's smart enough to be wrong all the time. <laughs> so, so I was sitting down and trying. That's what that became my, my driving question. How can the universe be structured in a way that all of these could be partially right? So what's the structure of the human organization? What's the structure of the human mind? What's the structure of human consciousness? And after sort of really pushing at that for for several years and practicing most of these things, I mean, I was doing... So you you were... Okay, that was was going to be my question. So you dove into them and actually tried to uh, experience it. I was meditating, I was doing Zen, I was doing Jungian therapy, I was doing Gestalt, I was doing uh, Vedanta. Um, And what finally dawned on me was that they all weren't aiming at just one level of human consciousness. In other words, the human being didn't have just one facet, one level, one aspect of its being. Right. But it actually was more like a spectrum. Right. That there was a whole spectrum of different levels of consciousness, a whole spectrum of different levels of the psyche. And each of these different approaches seemed very specifically to be aiming at one of these different dimensions right. or different levels. The, or, the center of gravity of the founder exactly. or the, the person exactly. who developed it. Interesting. And so they were all focusing, just like a real rainbow, they were all focusing on a particular band, a right. particular color right. in that rainbow. Interesting. And once I saw that, then I actually sat down and looked at what these different levels could be. Right. And then it turned out that virtually all of these approaches fit very, very well into an overall spectrum. Interesting. And you could actually sit down and say, oh, okay, this is where psychoanalysis is correct. Right. And Zen is actually wrong here. You can't use Zen in dealing with this problem. It will work. Right. And, of course, over here, what Zen does, which is produce Satori or waking up experiences or something like that, psychoanalysis has never done that. It's never produced an enlightened state of awareness. That's not what it's meant to do. Right. Interesting. It deals with shadow issues, pathologies, psychopathologies, and so on. So I was at this time about... Uh, I was 23 years old, 
And I pulled it all together and wrote my first book, which was called The Spectrum of Consciousness, for, for just that right. metaphor. Right. And that is, uh, in a sense, how, how this all got started. Amazing. And I have this uh, this image of you, approach. Ken. I have this image of you with like a thousand books spewed across your living room floor, <laughs> and like and reams of paper, and you just scratching know, your I head. Know. I'm embarrassed to say <laughs> that um, I really, really was um, uh, uh, an absolute uh, intellectual nerdy geek <laughs> guy, uh, and and did uh, really, really focused on that, and just ended up then sort of writing a book a year wow and 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 uh, i left um medical school and i i had also then gotten into graduate school in biochemistry Mm -hmm. and i i cut my phd short just took a master's degree and started uh got a job as a dishwasher at the red rooster restaurant that's zen work by the way yep well that was the finest fried chicken in a (laughs) five-state area And I was a busboy and dishwasher, and you don't know what bottom of the hierarchy means. Yeah, I bet. Until you are a busboy or a dishwasher in a restaurant. You cannot get any lower than that. Um, And then just kept sort of cranking out these books, and so ended up doing some 30 years later. I had some, you know, some 30 books and have just continued to expand this general notion right. that you can have an overall integrated view mm-hmm. that makes room for all of these different disciplines that human beings are engaged in. And the more of those different dimensions that we use, the more of those different perspectives that we use, then the more complete, right. the more integral, the more effective our overall approach is right. and you can see this uh, in 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 um unbeatable mind right. and and seal fit you can see the way that you have used right. um uh, virtually all of these different dimensions Absolutely. that i uh, came up with and you're training all of those right and and so you've you know um stumble upon that fundamental fact um, yourself that the basically more comprehensive the approach the more dimensions right. that you train whether right. it's working with five mountains right. whether it's working with what I call quadrants right. you have uh, practices that work with all four quadrants right. you work with different stages and levels of development you work with states of consciousness mm-hmm. right. or meditative uh, practice you include Physical, emotional, mental, uh, kokuro, right. spirit. Yeah, these are all perfect examples of an integral approach. Right. So, if you were going to come in and say to somebody, "I'm going to give you an unbeatable mind," and then all you trained was their emotional intelligence, right? That wouldn't work very well. That's that right. That would be very unbeatable. <laughs> that would be a pretty beatable. That mind. would be beatable, right? Yeah. That's fascinating. And so, yeah. But you've got it covered. I mean, you're really working the basis. Right. And, and the testimonies of people that go through uh, the training that you do is uh, a testament to the fact that you are, are taking a, a genuinely integral right. approach. Right. And you, so you know the benefits of that. 
right. you know how well that type of approach works. And the only thing that's astonishing is how still how rare right. that type of realization is. Agreed. You know, we have all of these wicked problems and they demand, if anything, multiple perspectives, right. multiple disciplines, multiple uh, approaches to deal with them. And yet we still have people coming in and saying, well, we'll just deal with it economically or right. we'll just deal with it technologically or we'll just we'll come up with a new worldview or we'll change our consciousness but nobody says wait a minute we have to do all of those or none of them are going to work they're not going to stick because the whole problem is so complex and there are so many dimensions to it that if we don't take all these dimensions into account we're going to get blindsided by them because they're there they're real they exist you have a physical body, an emotional body, a mental body, a spiritual body. They're all there. Right. And you'll either train them all or you will not have an unbeatable mind. <laughs> you, you'll have a very limited, partial, right. broken system. Right. And that, unfortunately, is still what a lot of people train. That's true. Yeah. It's interesting, Ken. You know, there's obviously there's so many examples of the, the lack of integral awareness yeah, my, one of them, one that was like blatantly obvious to me was when I was deployed to Iraq in 2004. What a great example of ignoring multiple perspectives. You oh, know, Lord. just dro- dropping, <laughs> dropping into a, a country that is at a radically different stage of development. And yep. The individuals that are different stage of development culturally, structurally, everything, and then yep. you know we're going to go in there and and build a representative democracy, and it, oh, it, it wasn't going to work from day one. It's um, horrifying. It is. It's one of the spookiest things in the world is indeed our our political and our international system where um, if you look at developmental studies, and this is one of the things that's so astonishing as, and I discovered this when I first looked at those 10 sort of major, you know, schools of of therapy in the broadest sense. Mm -hmm. There was an enormous amount of evidence for each of them. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at something like Gestalt therapy, there's an enormous amount of evidence that it works very well mm-hmm. on specific types of neuroses. Mm-hmm. And Fritz Perls was a genius. He used mm-hmm. to say, I can cure any neuroses in 15 minutes. Mm. And it, it, a little bit of an exaggeration, but he really was very, very good at doing that. Right. What he could not do was produce enlightenment right. in 15 <laughs> so, but what he did do, there's an enormous amount of evidence, and it worked for just that particular area that right. he, he worked on. That's now, right. if you look at Zen, Zen has been around for some 1,500 years. Right. Tens of thousands of people have gone through that training, and that has produced consistently individuals with an awakened or an enlightened right. uh, mentality. Right. It's good at that. Right. It's horrible at working on shadow issues. Right. It doesn't cover stages of development. Right. It works with states of consciousness, and it's enormously competent in mm-hmm. doing that. Right. And so if that's what we want, 
then of course that's something that we're gonna want to use right there's an enormous amount of evidence in all of these different disciplines the problem is nobody brings those disciplines together right so even though if you look at the particular community of knowledge that one of these disciplines is based on the, again the evidence is overwhelming Mm-hmm. And again, that's why people are spending, grown men and women have dedicated their entire life to these things because right. they know there's some truth here. Right. They have some reality they're dealing with. Right. What they don't quite get as well is that they're true but partial. Partial, yeah. There are other approaches that bring other important truths. Right. And we need to bring those in and start working them together. Right. And so that's what one of the integral things about the integral approach that makes it so compelling when people actually look at it is we have staggering amounts of evidence for all of the different components mm-hmm. of it. Right. And just what hasn't been done is people haven't brought them together yet. Right. Right. They haven't, they don't do five mountains, they do two mountains. <laughs> That's right. You know what's interesting? And you know that this is true. I mean, you've seen it in the military. You've seen it in international politics. You've seen it in other forms of training and coaching. And it's just, uh, it's a travesty, really. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have this information. Right. And we have, you know, very bright people that are also figuring out ways to bring it together, uh, like yourself in seal fit or Mm -hmm. undefeated mind. And we have other people that are also working. To, right. to, to bring these various fields together. Right. And it is starting to catch on. We're starting to see this in uh, a really surprisingly large number of areas. I bet. Uh, there's still a, a long way to go and still a lot of different areas that we really do have to get more integral right. with. Right. Um, but they're there. They're starting to grow. And it's, it's, it's really starting to become fairly optimistic i would say i would say too i would i would yeah. agree with you it's interesting you know i I, um, I wrote a book called the way of the seal and it, you know it has a, yeah. a version of my training program kind of presented in it and i have a lot of people come and say hey you know that's cool the seals train this way and i laugh and i said well that's actually the way of the seal singular you know because <laughs> <laughs> the seals aren't doing meditation and yoga having said that i've you know i've taught hundreds of Navy SEALs now who are wearing the trident and out there, you know, serving our country. I've taught them the integrated model, um, and they're doing yoga and breath control and visualization and meditation, and and they they're having a profoundly different experience than I had when I just kind of fumbled my way through trying to figure it out. It's pretty cool, and so that's that's a good example of what you're talking about. It's one area where. You know, kind of planting some seeds, and, and these folks are saying, hey, the, not only does it, did it help me get through training, I mean, our, our SEAL candidates have a 90% success rate, which is right. extraordinary considering yeah. that most people fail, but it also is helping them make better choices in combat. It's going to help, you know, when they're leaders, I mean, this may be another 10 or 20 years down the road, you know, they'll be avoiding situations like Iraq, I hope, because they'll be more world-centric in their points right. of view and in their consciousness, you know, right. which is pretty neat. Um, one other thing, you know, is, so in, in the event that someone doesn't have a, a strong grip on integral theory, can we, uh, do you have like a, a one minute kind of thousand mile, um, description of the stages of consciousness or the spectrum? 
or is that is that t- too hard to cram into a short? Uh, well, well, no, and and I mean, and there's um, the one minute version that I, I I tend to give. I'll actually give you that first. I'll give you just okay. a one minute, and that is the what we've done is um, essentially we have an understanding that. Um, we live in various territories, and right. in order to understand them, we make maps out of these territories. Right. Now, we all know that you don't want to confuse the map with the territory. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to have a completely screwed up map. <laughs> right. That's not going to help. Right. So don't confuse the map with the territory, but get an accurate map. Right. And the only way you're going to get a ma- an accurate map is if you're really comprehensive. I mean, you, you expect the map that you're using. If you are trying to get over the Rocky Mountains mm-hmm. or, or trying to even fly to the Bahamas and you're following a map, the one thing you want from that map is that it's accurate. Right. It reflects the territory accurately. And that's where this less than integral problems come in. Many of the maps that we use to cover the various territories that we run into on a daily basis, those maps are not well drawn. They're partial, they're fragmented, they're broken. And when we use those to actually train people, we're training broken people. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we went back and looked at the big pictures, the maps, that human beings had made of their own territory going all the way back at least 50,000 years to the earliest shamans. Mm. And so we said, okay, here's the maps they made. And then we looked at humanity as it continued to evolve. And in each of the major eras, and anthropologists tend to see humans have gone through about somewhere between six to eight major transformations Mm -hmm. in their overall evolution. Mm -hmm. So technologically that would include, for example, going from foraging to horticulture Mm -hmm. to agrarian to industrial to informational. These were big changes. And each time we did it, we made maps Mm -hmm. of where we were. And the problem is, in many cases, as we kept making new maps, we left out important stuff that we had discovered previously, but we just ended up leaving out or forgetting or not taking into account. And certainly one of the major aspects that modernity left out was the whole enlightenment process, the whole waking up process, Mm -hmm. the whole process that yoga Mm -hmm. and Vedanta and Zen and Buddhism and Mm -hmm contemplative Christianity. These were schools of a psychotechnology of consciousness transformation. Mm -hmm. They weren't about belief systems. Mm -hmm. They they weren't about believing that Moses parted the Red Sea Mm -hmm. and God rained locusts down on the Egyptians and all of that. I mean, those exist, but that's not what these practices were about. These practices were about waking up. Right. changing your consciousness in a fundamental way mm-hmm. to realize deeper and higher and wider degrees of awareness. Right. So what we did is we took all of the big pictures from pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. We put them all on the table, and we said, 
let's make a map that includes the best of all of these. Mm -hmm. And we'll use each map to fill in gaps that the other maps left out. Right. And so the result was what we call an integral framework. Right. And we found certain fundamental items that showed up wherever we looked and that were clearly important. And then we also found, of course, new items that were continually being discovered. And these seemed to be extremely important because once they were discovered, they were carried forward. People kept using them because they worked. So even going back to you know something like talking about Zen Buddhism, uh, mindfulness meditation, mm-hmm. Buddhist meditation is two thousand years old. Right. People still do it. Right. And they do it because it works. Right. It's just that simple. And so we took all of those things and put them in our integral framework. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's sort of the brief version of just what this is. And now. If you want to talk about some of the elements, like the actual stages of development mm-hmm. or states mm-hmm. of development or structures, uh, quadrants, mm-hmm. uh, so on, we can certainly do that. Those are some of the elements that we found that were necessary and that ended up in the overall integral framework. Right. I think, you know, to, to kind of framework this for the Unveiled Mind folks, we talk about um, the three spheres that arise simultaneously. Those are, you know, when you collapse the four quadrants into the big three, right. those right. are the same. So we have the uh, individual perspective right. uh, from an interior and an individual's exterior, then, of course, the collective interior and collective exterior, right. collect, collapsing the exterior into one. We get the I, we, and the it. Right. So that, you know, to me, you know, when, it, when I was exposed to your AQAL model, all quadrants, all lines, all levels, right. it was kind of like a light bulb that going off because, you know, I, I had understood training uh, in mind, body, and spirit through, through my um, karate program where we, you know, we sat in Zen meditation every week for 45 minutes. We, we would go right. to the Zen Mountain Monastery in upstate New York to train, and we were doing an integrated training. Little did right. I know that at the time. But right. I could experience that mind-body-spirit kind of connection. And the martial arts do that very well. They're one of the few training regimens, with a, you know, if you have the right sensei, so to speak, who, who can do integrated training well. Yeah. And anyways, but I didn't really ex- understand the lines or the levels of development. And I didn't understand the, the notion. Or may, let me just say it another way. I didn't. I wasn't aware of this notion that we were experiencing life in these quadrants simultaneously. But when I saw your model, it was like an aha moment that right. you know where I felt really kind of dumb that I hadn't been aware of it. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's how profound when when something is that simple, even though it's not simple in the sense of you know what it took to develop it. But yeah, it comes off as like holy shit, that is simple. And so then that's when. When I was, you know, I became a fan because I was like, that is awesome because, yeah. you know, p- there's power in simplicity. Right. So. And at the same time, um, it, it's not, and, and we don't mean judgments right. when we talk about these levels of development. Right. Um, everybody goes through these levels of development. Everybody starts at square one and we have to move through them. Uh, to the extent that we continue to grow and grow up. And that's actually one of the paths 
that we actually refer to it as the path of growing up. Right. right. And that actually moves us through these various levels of development. And of course, many people have heard of multiple intelligences. Mm -hmm. And we have probably up to a dozen right. multiple intelligences. It used to be that it was thought that humans just had sort of one intelligence, right. and that was cognitive right. intelligence. It was measured by an IQ test, and that was thought to be everything you needed to know. Right. Now we understand that we don't have just cognitive or intellectual intelligence. We have emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. We have moral intelligence. Right. We have interpersonal right. intelligence. We have somatic, kinesthetic intelligence. Right. Right. We have mathematical intelligence. We have musical intelligence. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's they're, they're all very, very different. But the other thing we found is that they all move to the same vertical levels right. of development. Right. And so, um, and there are many different ways that you can talk about those, um, you know, a dozen different ways. Mm -hmm. um, because you can give these different levels different names, just like if you're working with uh, temperature of water, you can measure it in Celsius, right. or you can measure it in Fahrenheit, right. or you can measure it in, in Kelvin. Right. And each of those is right. Right. They're just giving you, uh, you know, different starting points and different degrees of, of granularity and so on. Right. But you can use any one of those you want. You just have to tell people which one you're using. Right. And then that's fine. So one of the um, more common names of these vertical levels of development that all of our multiple intelligences go through was first put forth by Gene Gebser. Mm -hmm. And a variation on those are we have archaic level mm -hmm. and then a magic level mm -hmm. and then a mythic level right. and then a rational level, right. then a pluralistic level right. and then an integral level. And all of our different intelligences grow through those major levels. Right. And we see those levels in things like culture wars, mm -hmm. for example. Right. So the culture wars today are an intense battle taking place throughout culture between three major value sets, right. and they're, they're quite different. One is traditional, mythic, fundamentalist, religious values, right. and people understand what that is, they're very prevalent. The next major stage though, and this is also the order that they emerged historically was after the major sort of mythic fundamentalist mm -hmm. religious beliefs came the modern Western rational enlightenment. Right. And that's where we got the emergence of all these modern sciences, modern chemistry, modern physics, mm -hmm. modern biology. Mm -hmm. All of that changed dramatically. This is a very different worldview. Right. than the previous mythic fundamentalist right. you know, Catholic right. uh, worldview. And they coexisted, so, right? All these will coexist. They coexist in very tense relationships. Right. Right. And so then by the time the next major stage that emerged after modernity, which was rationality, um, what was called the, the stage of reason, 
mm-hmm. and revolution mm. came post-modernity. Right. And that had a value structure that believed in multicultural values. No one culture was right and other cultures were wrong. Every culture had its own truths and every culture had to be considered uh, in, in, in its own light. And you couldn't say that one culture was better than another culture. Mm-hmm. All of them were you know, equally true for what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's still a very strong value right. system. And it particularly took over education right. and the humanities mm-hmm. and it started to treat everybody the same mm-hmm. called egalitarianism mm-hmm. so even things like grading was looked down on mm-hmm. everybody gets a gold star mm-hmm. you don't pick somebody who you know gets a hundred percent somebody else gets 90 percent somebody right. else gets same no no everybody gets a gold star everybody you know is equally um uh special Mm-hmm. Uh, kids are start to start singing in first grade uh, to the tune of Frere Jaca. <laughs> I am special. I am special. Look at me. Look at me. And so we ended up, you know, with this multicultural view where every individual is equally special. Right. The only problem with that is it started to produce really narcissistic individuals so that now the recent graduating class in America has the highest rates of narcissism Hmm. since testing began. Fascinating. And this is weird because their parents were called the me generation. (laughs) They were the narcissistic generation and these kids are even more narcissistic. But the point is those three stages of development traditional, modern, scientific, postmodern, multicultural. Uh-huh. Those are three actual stages that all human beings grow through. Right. And again, we have overwhelming evidence on this. It's been tested in over 40 different cultures. Mm-hmm. And all human beings move through those stages. Right. So there's another way to make it even briefer. And that's to look at an individual's identity. Mm-hmm. And that is individuals start out with an egocentric mm-hmm. identity, right. which means they're just identified with themselves. Then as they grow and develop and their capacities increase, they expand their identity to be able to identify with entire groups of right. people. Right. So it's not just me. All of a sudden, it's us. Mm-hmm. And they can identify with their family, their clan, their tribe, their nation, Mm -hmm. their political party, Mm -hmm. their religion. And this is referred to as ethnocentric. Right. Because it's involved in a particular ethnic orientation, Mm -hmm. whether that's religious or political Mm -hmm. or gender or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Now, if we keep growing and developing, our identities keep expanding. And the next step is to move from ethnocentric to world-centric. Right. And world-centric means we don't just like the people in our own special group. We're not just a chosen people. We try to treat all people fairly, regardless of race, color, sex, or creed. Mm-hmm. 
And that, of course, was the beginning of the so-called universal rights mm -hmm. of humans. Mm -hmm. That began with the Western Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And as strange as it sounds, that belief didn't exist prior to that time. Right. Nobody, no culture in human history felt that all other cultures were equal. That's fascinating. They were all enemies of one sort or another, or they were certainly approached with very, very cautious terms. Right. And that's why humans had slavery mm -hmm. for their million-year history until the Enlightenment and the world-centric level of development. Mm -hmm. When we hit that level within a 100-year period, slavery was outlawed in every rational industrial country on the face of the planet. Mm -hmm. Never happened before. That's amazing. Huh? So between 1770 and 1870, slavery was outlawed in every modern culture. Right. And then we got in the 60s, we hit post-modernity. Mm -hmm. And we had the student rebellions, student riots, but we also had the beginning of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. We had the beginning of feminism, professional and personal. We had uh, the beginning of the environmental movement mm -hmm. that spread worldwide and is now the largest single movement mm -hmm. that humans are engaged in. Mm -hmm. And so that was the emergence of this new level of development, mm -hmm. this pluralistic level of development, where identity expanded yet again, often to even include other species. Right. So, so that, that's just an example of one of the elements that we include right. when we want to take a full integral approach to a problem. Right. If we look at climate change, for example, we have to look at the way individuals at every level of development, and there are about eight major levels of right. development. Everybody at each of those levels looks at climate change completely differently. Right. And so in order, one of the reasons we haven't made any progress in climate change is that we have eight different groups of people, none of which agree with each other. Right. They're and fighting so against each other. Get them all on the same page. Right, right. So we have to take an integral approach that says, okay, let's look at all of these different groups and let's language climate change in a way that makes sense for each of these different stages of development. Mm -hmm. So when they hear it in their terms, in their values, and how they will agree to do it, then they're ready to help with climate change. And I'll give you just a very brief example. We were talking about one of the major values in culture wars mm -hmm. was the traditional religious uh, fundamentalist uh, belief right. system. Right. And You'll notice that, that, that business started discovering this group by asking questions like, what car would Jesus drive? <laughs> <laughs> now, now most of the fundamentalist religious believers are not avid environmentalists. Right. And 
the only way they become environmentalists is what's called the stewardship model. Right. And that's based on their belief that, quote, this land is mine. Right. God gave this land to me. Interesting. Yeah. Now, if they believe that and they have what's called a stewardship model, then they think it's up to them to take care of the land right. that God gave them. Right. Now, that infuriates postmodernists. Right. <laughs> who, you know, see humans as just one species among others. We're not superior. We're not better. Right. We're just one strand in the great web of life right. and claiming that we own the earth or that we own all the other animals infuriates them. <laughs> but the point is, this is the only way right. somebody at that stage of development will agree with climate change protocols. Right. Otherwise, they just won't do it. So, so an integral level has to to meet everyone where they're at to inc exactly. to be inclusive without demonizing their their point of view. Exactly. And, and that's if a the challenge. Pope, yeah. It, it is a challenge. But if the Pope wants to explain that he's in favor of climate change because of a stewardship right. that God gave them, who cares? Right. Hey, I'm okay with that. I mean, I, otherwise, all we're going to do is argue with them, and they're going to say, fuck you, and walk away. <laughs> right. They're not going to do it. Right. But if they're allowed to believe their stewardship model, fine. Individuals at the business, profit, progress stage of development, they want to believe that they can make climate change and still make a profit in business right. and as a matter of fact you can yep, switching to, to fossil free fuels right. can be a very profitable move right. if that's why people at that stage want to do the right thing about climate let them right we don't have to force them to have the quote one correct view mm -hmm. of why to do this first because they'll never change right that's and nice. second they'll never do anything Right. And third, the planet will go to hell. Right, right. So this integral approach just says, yes, meet people where they are, language things in a way that they can understand, right. and they can get behind. And that's just using one of these elements, these levels of development, to see how we can approach different problems in a way that we can actually get people together in agreeing. Right. to move forward in a way where we're all in the same boat, right. rowing in the same direction. Right. And all of our wicked problems require something like that. Right. right now, we have eight different groups, all fighting with each other. Nothing is happening, right. except the wicked problems are getting more wicked. Right. And what, what other, the other part that's super um, informative is we can contextualize this discussion of the levels as it plays out in the interior of the self, you know, is in the culture or worldview of the collective, of the behavior, you know, of the individuals and in the, you know, the systems or structures um, at the system level. And so, right. and they kind of loosely map each other, don't they? I mean, the map, if you're, if you're at a pluralistic level um, in a consciousness, you tend to be with a group or identify with groups that are at that stage That's of development. Right. That's and right. Your and, social and, systems, you're going to be part of a, maybe a liberal democratic movement in politics. You're going to maybe work for an educational system like you identified earlier yes. um, in the structures. And yes, so, exactly. And if, you're, and if you're at a standard 
you know, fundamentalist, hardcore religious belief, right. you're probably going to be um, a member of the hardcore right. Right. Hardcore conservatives. Mm -hmm. They admit that that's their beliefs. Right. They're not fighting that. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, and also then probably um, a very avid uh, churchgoer. Right. And and again, you know, those are okay. Oh. Right. Yeah. Let, let me um, ask you. A, Run something by you. It's an you know assertion that I've made based upon what I think I learned from your writings. It's a couple things. One is that you know as we um, as we develop through these different stages, right. um, we transcend and include. So that's that holarchic right. model. So we so even though you know I've hopefully moved beyond you know let's say um, a red level, right? Right. Um, right. That still exists within me, and I can I can yes. get pulled back there, you know. Yes. And that's why you know one of the reasons I'm so um, so keen on emotional development is because it's usually our emotion, our emotional intelligence that kind of pulls us back into a comfortable, you know, role or pattern that is right. going to be at a lower level than your you know maybe your center of gravity if if you're right. at, you know pluralistic or integral. Does that, right. that assertion ring true to you? or Yeah, absolutely. And it, one of the things that is so important about something like Unbeatable Mind, or even working with SealFit, is that traditionally, as, as you're well aware, right. um, the, the physical fighters, the physical warriors right. of a culture do tend to come from what, as you pointed out was a red level right now red level is essentially the third major level of development right. it's it is driven by power by safety right. uh, by control and um, power in particular is one of its main drives right and usually that's the way warriors are trained right now except there's been a very interesting historical connection between warriorship right. and, and just a physical, murderous killing version and a higher spiritual understanding of warriorship, right. um, what you call kokuro. Right. And a lot of people don't realize that there, there's, there's a very strong connection historically right. between martial arts and meditation Absolutely. systems. Absolutely, right. Absolutely. So you... You go to the Shaolin Temple in right. China, and you find Bodhidharma, who right. invented Zen, right. working in the same temple that Kung Fu was invented. Right. And they both had the same kind of awareness, right. the same kind of presence of mind. Right. And that's not just being physically, you know, destructive. Right. It's it's being even in in the book of, of the five rings the mm -hmm. famous sword right uh, uh, Musashi teaching right. yeah right. technique is the perfect warrior uses a sword without ever using the sword right. I mean it's that kind of transcendental spiritual approach right to warriorship right and that's why there's such uh, an extraordinary capacity to take warriorship from its traditional kind of street gang, mm -hmm. you know, thuggish uh, view, and really raise it up that whole spectrum, right? Including increasing 
emotional mm-hmm. intelligence, mm-hmm. increasing mental mm-hmm. intelligence, increasing intuition and awareness, mm-hmm. and increasing spirit. And you'll notice I just gave five mountains. That's right. Yeah. Which is which is what you do. Yeah. And that's what's so profound. And just another example of an integral approach. Right. Is right. We have all of these dimensions. Let's take care of all of them. Right. And let's it let's harness the, the positive aspect. And at the same time, um, this is where Western psychology comes in. And you, you were talking about earlier, you know, we want to transform up, up that, you know, hierarchy of, right. of, you know, consciousness or the spectrum of consciousness. Right. But at the same time, we want to translate and eradicate any, you know, problematic areas of what you called our shadow self, you know, that right. may have come from erroneous belief systems or, you know, incomplete. And so it works both directions. And I think that's, that's the beautiful thing about the model is we can, we can transform through something like Zen while we translate things that didn't make sense in our past to help us transform even faster or more complete, right? right. In that kind of a whole and person model. It's one of the fascinating things that we've found is that if we look at what we were calling these stages of growing up, right. and we used examples of egocentric to ethnocentric to world-centric, Mm-hmm. The cosmocentric, mm-hmm. or even Gene Gebser's archaic, magic, mythic, mm-hmm. rational, pluralistic, integral. Mm-hmm. Virtually all Western forms of developmental psychology work with about those same six to eight major levels of right. growing up. Right. They don't work with states. Right. So they don't work with meditation states. They don't work with yoga. They don't work with meditation. And so in virtually every Western developmental model, there's no enlightenment. There's no awakening. There's no Satori. There's Mm -hmm. no Ashtanga yoga or (laughs) yoga itself, which is aimed towards moksha and freedom, the great liberation. All of that is left out. Right. Of Western developmental models, astonishingly. It is interesting. Now, at the same time, if you look at the great meditation systems around the world, Zen, Vedanta, Taoism, Christian contemplative meditation, Sufism mm-hmm. in Islam, mm-hmm. Kabbalah or Hasidim in Judaism, they are great at states of meditative development Mm -hmm. moving from you know the isolated narrow suffering ego Mm -hmm. to the true self the real self the supreme identity Mm -hmm. an identity with ultimate reality Mm -hmm. what the sufis call the supreme identity Mm -hmm. right an identity of your core with absolute reality Mm -hmm. with spirit with kokuro Mm -hmm. so they have that, but they don't have anything at all resembling those stages of growing up. Mm-hmm. There's no archaic, magic, mythic, rational, pluralistic integral. Mm. So you can have individuals training in state development. Mm-hmm. You can have Zen masters go through the whole Zen training. Mm-hmm and be at a mere power level of growing up. Interesting. Or 
a mere religious fundamentalist mm -hmm. level of growing up. Mm -hmm. There's a book called Zen at War. Mm -hmm. And it's some of the greatest, most respected Zen masters in history, giving nothing but ethnocentric, prejudiced, homophobic, <laughs> patriarchal, wow. uh, xenophobic uh, comments. And right. it's, it, when Americans first saw this, they were shocked mm -hmm. because they thought that these meditative systems right. took care of everything. Right, doesn't happen. Right. And they don't. Sadly, they don't. Just like Western doesn't take care of enlightenment, mm -hmm. the enlightenment ones don't take care of these growing up. So we can have people, strange as it sounds, that are fairly enlightened, but not highly morally developed. Right. Or don't, don't have high um, development in other multiple intelligences. Right. And so we haven't had until just recently, literally in all of history, we've never had a training program that trained both growing up and waking up. Right. That's that awesome. meant, yeah, it means that we've been training broken human beings for our entire history. Yeah, exactly. And, I think that, that – um, well, the East has been training broken human beings, but the West really hasn't been training at all. And I think that's one of the things that, for me, is kind of shocking, is that we, didn't, we don't really have a lexicon for training and development, for training for development, I should say, in the West. Um, no, what happened is only about 100 years ago, because these structures of consciousness in growing up, they're very hard to spot. Right. They're, they're very much like the grammar of the language that you know. Um, everybody that grows up in a particular language speaking culture mm -hmm. will grow up speaking that language pretty correctly. Mm -hmm. They'll put subjects and verbs together correctly. They'll use adjectives and adverbs pretty correctly. Mm -hmm. In other words, they'll follow the grammar of that language quite correctly. Mm -hmm. But if you ask them to write down the rules of grammar that they're faithfully following, None of them can do it right. because you can't introspect right. and see these rules of grammar. Mm -hmm. To discover these rules of grammar, you have to look at a large number of people, see how they use words, and then figure out the rules they're following mm. by studying how they actually do it. Right. That's not something you can do just by looking within. No. <laughs> so that's why... Western developmental studies only started about a hundred years ago, and they all started with this grammar-like or structure-like stages of growing up. Right. They had no stages of waking up, right. so they just dealt with growing up, and right. that's why all you have in today's Western developmental models, and again, they're only about a hundred years old, right. but all you have are these grammar-like structures of consciousness. Mm -hmm. There's no waking up, no enlightenment, no meditative states, no lucid dreaming, no, none of that. Right. And so the West does have some developmental stuff, but it's only about 100 years old, right. and it only deals with this growing up part. There's no waking up 
at all. Right. And that's catastrophic. Yeah, fascinating. You know, so and the second kind of assertion that I wanted to validate with you, and then we probably should move on because we've already been at this for an hour, and I'm sure we could keep chatting for another hour. <laughs> is this uh, notion that I've been um, kind of gently playing with with my community that when we when we elevate training, you know, and I say we elevate training to the same level of importance as eating and sleeping or fueling yep. our body and, and recovering our body. When we, when we put training at that same level of importance and we train in an integrated manner, you know, in our, in our context, those are the five mountains, physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and Kokoro or spirit, right. that we unlock accelerated development so that we both grow up and wake up in a, in a you know, in a faster manner, or at least we unlock that growth. Yes. Um, in many cases, that growth is completely stalled or stagnant or even decelerating, I would say. Yeah, yep. And so the integrated training model then unlocks that growth, and we start to, you know, it's like, you know, picking up steam. It's a little slow at first, and all of a sudden, you know, you're just racing, it feels like, you know, and, and seeing the world through new eyes almost every day. And I hear this it's, from my folks who, who you know, take the time to write to me or talk to me, and it's pretty profound. Uh, and it's very true. And it, it operates on uh, a principle that I basically just call um, uh, awareness cross-training. Right. I love that. And uh, I'll give you a very quick example. Because we were talking about, you know, growing up and waking up and, and, and uh, how they've never really kind of been brought together. Yeah. It, if you take a group of meditators who are doing mindfulness meditating mm -hmm. and you divide them into two groups and both groups spend exactly the same amount of time each week practicing. Mm-hmm say an hour a day both of them will do an hour a day mm -hmm. but one group takes a half an hour and does mindfulness mm -hmm. and the other group takes a half hour and weight lifts interesting yeah now this is an actual study was it huh. yeah now at the end of six months the, based on the teachers who were teaching the mindfulness the teachers graded the students on how much progress they had made in mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And even though the group doing weightlifting and mindfulness was only doing half the amount of mindfulness, because they were only doing 30 minutes a day of mindfulness compared to an hour a day mm -hmm. of the people doing only mindfulness. Right. The people that did mindfulness and weightlifting were uniformly judged by their teachers to be more advanced in mindfulness. Fascinating. Because this cross-training, right. as we take these different disciplines right. that have almost never been brought together, and we bring them together, each one of them accelerates faster. Right. Well, that's what that's, makes it so astonishing. That's yeah. what makes integral training far and above more effective right. than anything else, really, that we've we've been able to uh, discover. Right, that's that's awesome. You know, and it makes sense to me. You know, having been in the physical culture since you know my early teens, that <laughs> noting when I got into meditation, that you know the mind 
affected the body and the body affected the mind and right. and same thing you could say with the emotional states right. and to start to acknowledge that we are an enmeshed being right we don't right. you can't look at the body as over there and the mind is sitting on the counter right. over there and we're going to go right. train that you know at school but we're going to go to the sports field and just that's the body you know that's it doesn't work that way you know we really are yeah. this integrated being yeah that's, unfortunately that's, that's the way it's normally done right exactly well not anymore uh, exactly <laughs> exactly Ken, this has been a fascinating, fascinating and very, very enjoyable hour. I super appreciate your time. I know that you're busy. You probably got a book to write today or something like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Commander. I, I deeply appreciate your interest in this work. It's yes. clear that you had intuitively uh, hit on this on your own and, and we're working in this direction. And, and what I usually find with people that appreciate my work is that they have themselves already reached these integral levels of development. Right. And so when they read something I've written, it's just a recognition. Right, I love that. Because they're already there. And a lot of them will go, wait a minute, I knew this, I knew this, I know this. <laughs> That's right. You know, and some of them will, will tell me, they'll go, I could have written this book. Go, okay. <laughs> You wrote it first, but I could have written this. Right. I know this. That's awesome. And the reason is these integral levels are real territories. Right. They actually exist. Yes. They're real structures in the universe. Right. And so it's not like a theory like deconstruction right. where you can learn it or not learn it and you can believe it or not believe it. Right. These are real components of the human being. They yes. actually exist. Right. And so when people develop there, that's where they're living from. That's where they're operating from. And unfortunately, right now, because integral is the leading edge of evolution, mm -hmm. only about 5% of the population is fully at integral. Interesting. But it's, it's growing very rapidly. Right. And we expect it to hit 10% soon. Excellent. Uh, but nonetheless, the people that are there, as soon as they read something about this, they click. Right. They get it. They go, I know this. I'm here. This is me. Right. And, and there's just this enormous sort of self-recognition. Right. That's awesome. And that's, that's what's great about it. That's so which one of your books would you recommend that for someone who wants to learn more, that they go out to Amazon and click order now? What, which book sure. would it be? Um, I w uh, there's a very, very simple introductory book uh, that I, I wrote just a, a, a year or two ago called The Integral Vision. Yes, yeah, terrific. I've got that. Yeah. And I would recommend that. And then I also, I, I would still, for people that want to kind of get a feel, um, a brief history of everything is still right. a, a, a pretty good. Uh, yeah, I agree. A, a pretty good intro. So. so if you're into pictures, you know our warriors like pictures. Then uh, integral vision is the way to go. Exactly. If you're a little and bit we, more and cerebral, and we, and we did it that way intentionally. <laughs> we meant it to be a very visual book, right. and just showing how things can tie together. Right. So I would recommend that uh, first. That's terrific. Okay, thank you, thank you so much. Absolutely. And I guess I'm gonna am I gonna see you down in Texas, in person. Well, uh, and, at, and at the ranch, I think I'm heading down there with um, the Center for Integral Wisdom. Oh well, my goodness, yes, we we do have that. I will probably be um, 
beaming in. Okay. Uh, and 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 so uh, so I won't we won't meet to, in person then. Okay. Uh, interact with folks uh, in that fashion. Right. So uh, hopefully we'll we'll uh, be able to connect that way. Okay. Good. Well, again, Thanks. thank you, thank you so much, Ken. Uh, really grateful for all the work you do, and um, hopefully you know we'll meet in person and we'll we'll continue this dialogue someday. I know that our folks are really going to be intrigued and um, appreciative. So. Continue the fight, good sir. And, my uh, my pleasure, Commander. It's been uh, it's been an honor. Ooh, yeah. All right, folks. Um, if you want to learn more uh, about Ken and his work, then please just uh, Google him uh, or go to Amazon.com and pick up Integral Vision or A Brief History of Everything. They're they're both excellent excellent reads. Highly recommended. And if you are interested in a free thirty day trial of Unbeatable Mind, then just um, Take a look below the place where you found this podcast, either iTunes or our website, and you'll see a link to a free trial. So check it out. You won't be disappointed. And until next time, uh, Commander Divine, out. Yeah. Lock it low, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen.